So, uh, let me first walk through the essential practices doctrine. So, uh, anything, if you say that this is a religious practice and I need the freedom to conduct this religious practice, to participate in or this, to run this religious practice, it has to pass the essential practices test. What is this essential practices test? This entire test and the doctrine of essential practices was evolved through several landmark judgments. The first one is the 1954 Shirur Mutt case. In the 1954 Shirur Mutt case, most of these, I'll tell you, the, most of these judgments, most of these doctrines are expounded in cases and in judgments where the original case was not really directly related to the doctrine, but it was uh, some other kind of dispute. Uh, some other kind of dispute. In the Shirur Mutt case, uh, the Shirur Mutt is one of the eight Mutts in Udupi. Uh, which manage uh, the temple in a rotation basis. It's called the Pariyaya system where the Swami of each mutt, eight of these mutts, the Swami of each mutt uh, manages the temple and offers the primary worship at the temple in a rotation system. They have a period, the Pariyaya period. So, uh, one of these mutts is the Shirur mutt and the Swami uh, who came into the Mathadibhati's uh, the seat uh, was uh, Lakshmindra, Lakshmindra Tirtha Swamiyar. And this Mathadipati, when he came to his seat, he was a, a junior. He was uh, he was uh, he was less. He was a minor, and therefore there were people managing affairs for him, uh, the mutts affairs for him. And after he became came into his majority, he started managing affairs by himself. The mutt ran into financial difficulties, and they were forced to go out and borrow money and so on. And uh, therefore, at that point in time, the Shirur mutt and the Udupi region was under the Madras presidency. And the Madras presidency had a Hindu religious and charitable endowments rule doctrine uh, act. Under the act, they appointed somebody to come and manage the affairs of the mutt. And afterward, there was another person. This, this person became the proxy for somebody who wanted to take over the entire mutt's affairs. Just keep the Swami as a figurehead and manage the entire affairs. And eventually, this uh, transformed into a power struggle where the Swamiar had to... Uh, uh, evict the person appointed by the HRC board and uh, among the points of contention were the practices which were carried out in the temple by the Shirurmat Swamiyar and the question came up as to whether this is uh, freedom of religion and whether it is essential practice. So in this judgment there is a interesting uh, section of this judgment where I will read it out to you. In the first place, what constitutes the essential part of a religion is primarily to be ascertained with reference to the doctrines of that religion itself. If the tenets of any religious sect of the Hindus prescribe that offerings of food should be given to the idol at particular hours of the day, that periodical ceremonies should be performed in a certain way at certain periods of the year, or that there should be daily recital of sacred texts or oblations to the sacred fire, all of these would be regarded as parts of religion and the mere fact that they involved expenditure of money or employment of priests and servants or the use of marketable commodities would not make them secular activities partaking of a commercial or economic character. All of them are religious practices and should be regarded as matters of religion within the meaning of Article 26b and Article 25 2a. So, what it says is, if you go through the essential practices test, 1954 Shirurma judgment, what it said was, an essential practice should be essentially religious in practice. 
it should be essentially religious in nature if it is essentially religious in nature the state does not have any authority to comment on it or to regulate it except where there is i mean you can have a religious ritual where people um, there there are religious rituals where there are aspects of self harm um, for example there is the madasnana where people eat and then the people roll over those uh, leaves after they have eaten there are uh, hook swinging uh, practices where people get themselves strung up and hung by a hook which is uh, put into their plunged into their flesh there is an aspect of self harm but you cannot uh, as long as it does not exceed uh, certain limits and actually involve human sacrifice or you know there were certain practices like children being buried alive which i read in the newspapers which i cannot trust but the children were supposed to have been buried alive for some time and then brought out or something like that which was uh, pretty disturbing the way it was described so maybe things like that you would the state would have a uh, huh. moharam is a essential practice is essential essential practice which the state does not interfere in but even if there is self harm swinging from hooks is similar to moharam where people actually cut themselves open with uh, uh, sharp objects so uh, the state will not interfere except if you are giving human sacrifice or you are going to commit suicide or something like that right which is extreme in nature in which case the state will deem it necessary to uh, 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 to intervene so that was the shirurmat case so basically in 1954 and the shirurmat case it did not it, there weren't too many precedents from indian jurisprudence so a lot of the precedent which they drew were from commonwealth countries which fo- which followed the british system of jurisprudence they took examples from i believe new zealand and uh, from england cases in england and essentially arrived and then came to this definition of an essential practice which is that it should be essentially religious and therefore it is covered under freedom of religion